Hello, and welcome to this Cumberland Lodge podcast on the topic of adaptation and eco-anxiety, one of the key elements covered on the Climate Futures Youth Perspectives virtual conference taking place this March. My name is Lina Maria Pintor Escobar, and I'm a second-year scholar at Cumberland Lodge, the educational charity that tackles social division through dialogue and debate based in Windsor Great Park. Cumberland Lodge has been running a virtual conference exploring young people's perspectives on the future of our planet. In this occasion, we are working with a freelance research associate, William Finnegan, who is capturing all the youth insights from the conference to write a report which will fit into the 2021 pre-COP26 in Milan and the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, COP26. For our listeners to keep an eye out for the report in coming months. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests to discuss some key takeaways from the conference third session on adaptation and eco anxiety. Welcome to Dr. Lisa Schipper, environmental social scientist um, at the University of, of Oxford, <laughs> and Harry Tuick who is taking part in this conference as a representative from the British Youth Council. Thank you both for joining me. Before we get going, could you both briefly introduce yourselves? Lisa? Yeah, sure. Hi, thank you for inviting me today. Uh, yeah, so I am a researcher. I work on the intersection between climate change and development. And in particular, I'm, I'm interested in understanding if it's actually possible to achieve a just and fair development in the context of climate change and how we go about that. Uh, and my, my research area is particularly looking at how we adapt to climate change and what the drivers of vulnerability to climate change are in developing country contexts. Great, thanks. Harry? Hi, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to, to be here. Um, my name's Harry, um, as you said, Lena. Um, I'm a member of the British Youth Council's um, Youth Policy Steering Group, so we've been working with government to present young people's um, views, ideas, um, on a whole range of, of policy areas. Um, and we've done some work with DEFRA, particularly around kind of young people and feeding young people's voice into um, policy decision-making. Um, around environment and climate um, and sustainability. Um, so that's kind of the angle that, that I'm coming from. Great. Thanks to both. Um, let's go, uh, let's start with some questions. So, um, Lisa, what do we mean by climate adaptation and how important is it in reducing our vulnerability to climate change? Yeah, this is a good question. Adaptation to climate change is basically considered to be uh, the one of the two options for how to address climate change. So the other one being reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is often called mitigation. And adaptation, it, it's interesting because in some ways we are just trying to copy what we see the environment is doing already, that ecosystems have always adapted to changes that are around them, sometimes in they've been successful and sometimes they've not been successful. And similarly, human... human uh, settlements and, and human societies have adapted to things over time. I think the, the, the interesting thing about adaptation is that we assume that we can adapt also to this very extreme rapid change in climate now. And uh, on the one hand, we might think that adaptation is really just about kind of replanning our cities and rethinking the way that we, we build our buildings 
uh, and also sort of um, kind of technical options for, you know, it's getting too hot, so we need more air conditioning for people and that sort of thing. But actually, adaptation is also a lot about attitude and behavior. And those are the things that are really difficult to change. Uh, those are things that take time. And so in a rapid, kind of in a short time span, how would we actually get people to change their attitudes and to change their behavior? This is the real challenge. I think um, the other part of adaptation is that in climate change policy, sort of global policy discussions, frequently adaptation has been kind of associated with the poorer countries, the developing countries, because those are the countries that are contributing the least, if, if anything at all, to the greenhouse gas emissions globally. And, um, and therefore, adaptation has often get, been discussed in the context of development and the fact that it's very closely linked to development. And this is where the question of sort of understanding and reducing vulnerability is. Like, uh, we... We understand that it's the way in which development happens um, very broadly that actually drives vulnerability to climate change. So the way that we create sort of ideas of what women's responsibilities are or men's responsibilities or children. Uh, and those ideas then, then lead sort of men, women and children to have certain options available for them. But they are also kind of the drivers of the things that make them potentially more exposed to climate change, potentially more vulnerable to climate change. And so um, I would say that what we've done quite poorly in, in so far is we've not managed to really get adaptation to address sort of adaptation, planned adaptation to address these underlying drivers of vulnerability. So I think adaptation, if it has a role in reducing vulnerability, we're somehow not doing that very well yet. Um, we need to get at these root causes. And usually these adaptation projects and programs, they just don't touch on these underlying drivers. Like how do you change attitudes about, about women and children and men, sort of relative attitudes um, to ensure that there's equality or to recognize that there are these differences? How would a project funded externally be able to do that? These are these sort of, I guess they're big philosophical questions, but they, they have deep roots also in the development, um, development aid history about who's actually supposed to be, you know, who, whose voices do we listen to and who makes the decisions. So there's, there is some sort of political dimensions to adaptation that, that are preventing us from really being able to implement it in the way that actually would essentially help people the most effectively, I think. Uh, and also the scholarship, the, num the amount of people who are looking at adaptation has absolutely exploded since I started working in this field, which is very encouraging. Um, I'm hoping that we can really get at these you know, these core issues of how do we actually get it to work? We understand what it is, but how do we actually get it to work on the ground? Uh, so that's still sort of a big question mark, I would say. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. Um, Harry, um, I have uh, a question a little bit different for you. So um, mainstream media often conveys a gloomy picture of the future when talking about environmental issues. As a young person, does this worry you? Or do you feel optimistic that society is adapting quickly enough to solve the crisis? Yeah, great. I think that's that's really interesting. And I think that the first thing that I'll say, being completely honest, is does it worry me? You know, simple answer is yes, it does. Um, I think is the is, is the easiest way to answer that question. I think you know we we see the kind of you know the media we do see it portrayed all the time, and I think to be honest, quite quite rightly so, in that this is this is something that we should all be worried about, and we should all feel we should all feel anxious to a certain extent about. Um, and I think what, what worries me particularly is that um, obviously the kind of, you know, the, the social aspects of adaptation, the kind of 
you know, the, the aspects of our livelihood that, that we can change and that we can control. I do feel optimistic that there's a certain degree of change coming there. So, you know, I feel that people, people understand that maybe, you know, traveling to Australia on holiday every year isn't the most socially responsible thing to do. I think that there's a, there's kind of a growing awareness in, in that area. Um, but I think what, what worries me more so is kind of the, the kind of infrastructure and the kind of that, that sort of adaptation is that, is that really going to happen? Um, so, you know, is that, um, is that really developing in the way that it, in the way that it needs to develop? Um, that, that is what I think worries me more so um, as a young person. And I think the other, the other thing um, to, to mention is that, you know, we, I think we, we quite often underplay kind of the, it's quite often underplayed the importance that, you know, you, that people can, you know, people can make change at the end of the day. And I think that we, we quite often underplay that, underplay that fact um, in terms of, you know, we paint the doom and gloom picture um, of kind of, you know, it's all about the big powerful institutions, um, but, you know, who are the businesses consumers, it's us who are kind of driving those behaviours. So I think it's important that we, we kind of remain, we remain mindful of that, um, you know, small changes like um, plant-based diets, um, you know, green technology, exercise, mobility, walking places instead of taking the car, um, all those sort of small decisions can, can really make a difference. So I think, does it, does it worry me? Yes. And I think rightly so. Um, but I think, you know, there's some incredible innovation on the horizon. So those small decisions that people can take. Um, and then I've seen some really incredible innovations. So I've seen, I remember seeing something that kind of um, data plants and data storage centers, which are kind of environmentally quite bad because of the amount of air conditioning that you need and things like that. Um, there was a really innovative solution that I've seen, for example, whereby you can actually melt the data down and then inject it into a tree. And so instead of having a massive data center that is, you know, hugely negative, has a negative environmental impact, you can actually have a forest that serves exactly the same purpose. And so I think those sort of innovative adaptations really do kind of inspire me that we can get there and science can get there. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I am definitely hopeful, but it is something that worries me. And I think if, if people weren't worried about it, I would be worried, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, but a quick extra question on that. So how do you see the role of young people on um, solving this crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think young people, I think it's really important that we don't, we don't place the whole burden of the climate crisis on young people. I think everybody in society has got a responsibility and everybody in society has got a part to play. And I think that that is so, so important. Um, but I think young people have definitely got, you know, I think it's time that we as, as young people, you know, we kind of don't, I think we quite often we ask for power. And actually, I think it's time that we kind of take power ourselves and kind of, you know, make, make these decisions um, and, you know, make these changes. Like I said, young people um, can influence kind of the brands that they buy from, um, for example, their environmental and ethical choices, um, young people's individual kind of traveling habits, things like that can really have an influence not just on themselves but on their families on the communities that they live in um you know so i think it's really important that we don't we don't place the the labor of change entirely on young people it has to be the whole society going for this um you know every individual matters but i think young people really do have a have a massively important part to play in kind of raising their voice and driving change within their families within their schools within their colleges um and i think there's also a really interesting piece about how we how we can support young people to do that. I mean, that's maybe I'll end up going off on a tangent if I start talking about education and things like that. Um, but, you know, there's a whole other interesting piece about how we can best support young people to make those sustainable choices and to talk about it in a way that kind of inspires others. 
Yeah, great. That's very interesting point of view. And now um, to both of you, have you felt more or less concerned about the environment during the COVID-19 pandemic? Lisa? Um, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really interesting question. I suppose I'm always concerned about the environment. I mean, that's kind of what, what I've always, what drove me to my first degree is in environmental science. I mean, I, I think I, I feel that there's a lot, we, we still need to work a lot on the environment, but I think what has been, from my view, very positive is the tremendous amount of discussion that we've been generating about, you know, what does this, the, the changes, the behavioral changes that we've had to implement during the pandemic, what kind of implications do they have for, you know, our, our greenhouse gas emissions? What kind of implications do they have for um, environment in general? Like the fact that people are, were, were driving less and the, the fact that, you know, in many places there were uh, big spaces available for cycles on the roads because there were so few cars driving. And, you know, the fact that those things remain in some places, although in others they've been removed but i think that that you know it it shows that we get it like we realize that you know what we were doing before was not a sustainable uh, way of going about kind of living life but the other side of it i think maybe more in in kind of the policy and politics and and research space there's been a tremendous amount of discussion about justice and equity and the fact that these things are critical to understanding pandemic and i think you know even though you can't compare in exactly parallel the pandemic and climate change because they happen different scales and they happen you know climate change is a much more indirect kind of of threat whereas COVID-19 is right there outside on the door doorstep and you get it and you get sick. And I mean, it's, 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 it's a different way of kind of a different risk, but I think the point is that, you know, we realize that there's, there is big differences between who is exposed, who is more likely to get really ill and so on. And those things have systemic roots. Like they come from uh, kind of who has traditionally been denied healthcare or who, who has to have these kind of more exposed jobs and so on. And, and there, there are similarities with climate change also in terms of the fact that it's not like we're all in it together and the fact that we're all actually in, in very different places in approaching this, um, both the pandemic and climate change. So I feel like we've had the chance to really kind of revisit things that, that have come up, but like it's, it's, more, it's more common to talk about these things. And, and I feel optimistic about the different publications that are coming out, uh, the, the kinds of these types of discussions uh, and also the events that I've been part of where it's clear that you know, more and more, lots of different types of people are recognizing the need to consider how differentiated the impacts are of both COVID and then also climate change, and therefore be much more sophisticated in the way that we think about addressing the problem, which I think is, is I mean, in my view, the, the way to actually get at this is recognizing this tremendous diversity in people that, you know, we have to find solutions for everybody, not just for the, the few who fit into a certain mold, um, who can access certain technology or so on. I, I think that's a, it's a really important point that we have to, yeah, the solutions have to fit everyone, not just, you know, the solution doesn't just have to fit the Western world or, you know, it has to be, a, it, it has to absolutely has to be a global, global solution. I think the other thing that, that COVID kind of makes brings to mind for me is kind of, you know, I mean, I think Lisa, I think you, you alluded to it, but kind of the behavioral changes that we've seen, you know, people are being more careful about the food that they're buying, planning meals more carefully because they can't just pop to the shop quite as easily. Um, people are spending a lot more time 
with kind of lower carbon activities, you know, the amount of people who've spent the time in the garden, gardening, um, sat reading, things like that. Um, yeah, that, that, I think they're, they're kind of really important points. And I think the, the, the key question, which I, I, you know, it's the million dollar question. I wish I, I had an answer to it, but it's how, how do we lock these habits once COVID's finished? How do we make sure that once COVID's finished, we don't go back to just buying food and then throwing it away because we've not bought it and we can just pop to the shop and buy more? How do we make sure that we don't go back to kind of traveling across the country for a 30 minute meeting? How do we make sure that we don't go back to kind of a consumerist lifestyle where we're just kind of, you know, readily buying things because they're available when actually we don't need them. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of the, for me at least, that's the key kind of takeaway from the pandemic is that when, when we're in a crisis, this behavior changes is absolutely possible. Um, and so it's how do we communicate that, you know, once COVID's over, this crisis isn't over. Um, and that that behavior change, we have to, we have to hold on to it and we have to kind of integrate it into our day to day lives. And, you know, I think everybody's got a part to play in that. Great. So thank you so much, Lisa and Harry, for taking part in today's podcast. For anyone listening to this podcast, you can find out more about our Climate Futures Youth Perspectives project on our website, cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. Keep an eye on our Read, Watch, Listen page for blog posts written by Cumberland Lodge scholars and other podcasts where we'll hear from more speakers and participants getting involved. Thank you once more to my guests and thank you for listening.